0: Welcome back to the Future Cities podcast. For another episode, I'm Jason Sauer. And I'm Stephen Elsker. I want you to take
1: a moment and to picture in your mind what you think of when I say the word infrastructure. Chances are that you imagined a road, a bridge, a tunnel, or maybe even a sewer, man-made structures designed with a very specific function in mind. These highly engineered, hard structures are often called gray infrastructure, and for a long time...
0: That was the only type of infrastructure that anyone ever talked about. But in the 1980s, uh, scientists started arguing that more natural uh, spaces and landscape features within cities should be considered infrastructure as well, a kind of, quote, uh, unquote, green infrastructure. And although there is no one definition for green infrastructure and the definitions that exist are evolving, in general, green infrastructure refers to a landscape feature that uses natural elements like trees or soil. Uh, to function toward a goal that humans des- or that humans desire. So some specific examples might be a natural forest land that we can decide to conserve, so it uh, provides purified drinking water. A famous example of this, of course, is New York City's forested watershed that is now being protected. Um, or for example, urban trees, uh, which we might plant to help make cities feel cooler on the ground. However, in spite of the various forms and functions of what we may think of as green infrastructure, There are many urban planners and scientists who really only think about the forms of green infrastructure that serve as stormwater management tools.
1: But even green infrastructure that that is specifically designed for the purpose of stormwater management might provide a lot of other additional, even unintended, services to a city. Take bioswales, for example. A bioswale is a vegetated ditch usually located adjacent to a street or a parking lot that allows rainwater and runoff to soak into the ground rather than flood the streets. As the water moves through the soil and vegetation, pollutants from this street runoff are removed, making that water cleaner before it re-enters a nearby stream, ocean, or aquifer. In addition to those stormwater management services, though, bioswales can also promote biodiversity, can be aesthetically pleasing, and can even produce cooling shade, depending on the selected vegetation. These benefits, although not the primary focus of bioswales, are
0: still important. It's also worth noting that though green infrastructure can provide a number of services, it can also come with a number of negative consequences, which we generally think of as disservices. So, for example, a pond designed to control floods can also be a sort of breeding ground for undesirable organisms like mosquitoes. Um, And urban ecologists and city planners have increasingly been interested in studying, designing, and managing for the whole suite of services and disservices that the spectrum of gray to green infrastructure provides. And so research has shown, for example, that traditional gray infrastructure generally provides a narrower range of services than green infrastructure, but gray infrastructure can obviously be very effective at what it is specifically designed to do. So drainage pipes are extremely good at moving water quickly, and though there are green infrastructure alternatives, not much can really keep up with a well-engineered drainage pipe. Green infrastructure, on the other hand, though, generally provides a much wider range of services than gray infrastructure, and that includes ones that are very difficult to engineer.
1: In this episode, we're going to explore the role of urban wetlands as green infrastructure in Valdivia, Chile. Valdivia is a city in southern Chile located in a highly biodiverse region at the meeting point of three rivers and only about 10 miles from the ocean. In 1960, a 9.5 magnitude earthquake, the largest ever recorded, caused a large subsidence in the city, making way for a network of wetlands. Since then, the city has variously conserved, managed, and filled in the wetlands as Valdivia has grown. These wetlands can be found all across the city, from the urban core to the river's edge, and they provide a large range of ecosystem services. Blackberries especially like the edge soils around the wetlands, and you can eat them right off the plants. Some people still practice native weaving using wetland grasses. They are also home to many species of lizards, frogs, birds, and plants that you would not find in other places. Biodiversity in wetlands can, in turn, contribute to city residents' sense of place, Their home is a place where you can find all of these things, and they can can take comfort in that. The Blackneck
0: Swan, for example, is a cultural icon for the city, and there's even a brewery named after it. So to better understand the wetlands and their role in the city, we decided to talk to two practitioners in Valdivia that are both working on the wetlands on different projects and in different capacities, uh, but with the same broad understanding and approach toward wetlands as green infrastructure.
1: One of our guests will mention an environmental disaster involving the Black Neck Swans, so we just want to give you a little bit of information about that event. In 2004, a pulp mill opened up north of Albevi along the Cruces River. Discharge from that mill was released into the river, which then flowed downstream into nearby wetlands. And this discharge contained many pollutants which harmed the wetland and was ultimately responsible for the death and migration of thousands of Black Neck Swans. We'll hear more about the significance of that in just a bit. Uh, Okay, great. So, thanks for joining us. Could you please introduce yourself? Give us your name, your title, your educational background.
2: Thank you, Steven. Thank you, Jason, for inviting me. Um, I'm Ignacio Rodriguez-Jorquera. I am a DVN, a doctor in veterinary medicine, and I've been working for almost 20 years in wildlife conservation area, and I have a master's degree in water resource management, and I have a PhD in interdisciplinary studies and with emphasis in ecotoxicology. That's my background.
1: And uh, what is your title where you work?
2: Uh, I'm the executive director of the uh, uh, Cruces River Wetland Center.
1: Great. Uh, so could you tell us a little bit about that center? Uh, what does it do?
2: Well, the, the Rio Cruces Centro Medales Rio Cruces or Cruces River Wetland Center is a wetland conservation center uh, which uh, mainly um, aim is to um, produce information so do research uh, do environmental education and environmental awareness and do um, uh, 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 is trying to um, produce Uh, Information for uh, conservation and and, uh, advice for conservation of the wetlands, and also uh, work with the governance system of the center itself as an example of of other uh, institution conservation institutions. So I have these four uh, pillars. pillars. (laughs)
1: Thanks. You said it earlier in Spanish. just remembering <laughs> um, okay great so uh, why is it important to study the wetlands in the context of uh, Valdivia
2: uh, well we, we were just discussing this Valdivia is a wetland city it's surrounded by wetlands indeed we are over the wetlands <laughs> so uh, it's a particular city in that sense uh, since wetlands are everywhere and is so um you have const- constantly this um, discussion about how to develop the city and how to do development that people wanted uh, and at the same time protecting the wetlands which give us a lot of benefits and uh, historically we do not have that sense of wetland protection which uh, I believe um, started uh, at little, of a, I will not say massive level because it's not yet massive, but at least it's in the press and it's more known. Uh, after the 2004 uh, cold ecological disaster in the Cruz's River, and people started to um, realize how important are these systems for, for, for human being, for human uh, well-being, um, Yes, and now we are in that phase where we already know how bad it can be uh, to pollute or to do protect some uh, particular wetlands. And you will just, it's just a matter to uh, go around the city and, and see how typical it is to see wetland fillings or wetland or develop, developing, uh, develops of uh, infrastructure over wetlands. And you already feel that we need to do something more or at least do something to protect us and it's 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 very interesting how we need to discuss this in with all the aspects technical technical aspects and, and or political aspects economical aspects since we have 16,000 of wetland sectors in the city, and this is a city that needs development. It's a small city where it's very hard to find a job. So for our perspective, we, we, we work in conservation. We have a very clear, but there are many people there that doesn't think like that. They want to to build something, and building things, you create jobs, and then you need uh, industries work. So that makes this uh, an opportunity to uh, perhaps uh, put there a different strategy of development. Uh, I really, I truly believe you can do it. We were discussing in Spanish about sustainable development, which is at the global level. Many people have, you know, doubts that that is possible, but I really. I truly believe that here, in, at the local level, we still have the opportunity to do something uh, uh, in that direction. It will be hard because uh, I, I, I also truly believe that we inevitably will lose some wetlands, but I think we can manage to at least keep a network of uh, wetland preserve Plus, do network uh, wetland enhancement. Uh, if we are losing wetlands that are more critical, for example, if we need to build a, a road or a hospital or whatnot. So I think there are options to to, to manage this. It will be the, uh, I, but the problem is we need to have information. I know your both of your work, and you're doing a great work in, in producing very key information and not just because uh, it's demonstrating how wetlands are critical for our society, but, but also because it's here. <laughs> it's local information for the local wetland that you live nearby, and that produces a different effect in, in, in people. So th- I think that's Valdivia. That's Valdivia is a key place to, to study wetland, and, and I really hope, and we are doing lot of work, and we are really commit committed to be a referendum uh, wetland center with, within a few years, hopefully.
1: Okay. Yeah, could you talk a little bit about some of the work that the center is, is doing or working on right now?
2: Okay, yes. Um, well, we are we're about to have the first year of our, our complete staff. The <laughs> wetland center started before, uh, about two years ago, but... Uh, the four people staff, which is the, the core of the Wetland Center, uh, is been working for almost a year. And we have, within that year, uh, focused or working in uh, the governance of the center, which is very important, like uh, bylaws and, and organization issues. Uh, in terms of uh, research, we uh, launched this um, research program, which is a five-year research program with about, I don't know, in dollars, it might be like about $2 million uh, fund uh, with the aim of uh, produce information uh, in mainly in the Cruises river wetland, but we are truly believe now we need to open this, hopefully nationally or maybe regionally. We are discussing that. Uh, in um, environmental education, we are very, um, Uh, We are in the phase of planning since we started the last part of the year, so now we need to uh, do a diagnosis of uh, the schools, mainly, around Maldivia. We already know how many there are, where they are, and why we are doing that, because there are many other environmental education programs, so we don't want to spend money in the same things that are already there. We just want to be like a center of, of that and try to, uh, push it towards the wetland conservation since, as I told you, in Valdivia wetlands, it might be the main ecosystem type that you will find. Yeah. Um, in terms of um, the um, uh, conservation management, we are working with CONAF mainly in the sanctuary to uh, collaborate with, and with information uh, known or uh, research that we can do for or improve the management plan they are doing. Uh, we also are, we have this um, wetland repository, the, the wetland library, which we will launch soon. I, I I believe in the next three months we should have it in the, on the webpage. Um, we are doing a lot of work with the aquatic birds. We love birds, but we also know that birds are like a The first door that you open to do conservation, they are everywhere, are very charismatic, just the black-neck swan thing Demonstrate that. and uh, With that, we are uh, doing census of aquatic birds, and we are also doing uh, tourism uh, research. I also forgot to mention, we are working in the uh, Code of Ethics for bird watching, which was part of a list of... um, to-do list that came out after the first um, Abitourism Bird Watching uh, conference that we co-organized here with the Tourism Institute. So, is that the approach? Like, okay, we want to do a meeting, but we want to take something back from that meeting, and we want to publish. From that meeting, we already sent a paper, an environmental education paper about the power of bird watching, and we got the code that is outside. I invite you to go there and it's in Spanish, but if you want to answer in English, it would be totally okay. <laughs> and we didn't have that. And, and talking about that code is like talking about this is the way to do a sustainable development or a, 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 the bird watching is very particular because you, you get some material benefits, money, just because you are watching birds. So I think that's very powerful. But it's not just bird watching. Is the hiking that you can do hiking plus bird watching. You can do kayaking plus bird watching. You can do boat trip plus yeah. bird watching. So it's, it's the, the first door for us, was the first door. That's why we put it in a board. We, we were very strong saying, let's start with this. And we have a successful course of that.
1: Yeah, that seems like a really uh, great idea. I know you mentioned earlier that uh, it can be hard to find a job here, and so mm. a lot of people want to keep building, yeah. and that might be bad for the wetlands, but yeah. here you're exploring an option that might produce more jobs but yeah. through eco-tourism, to yeah. go bird watching yeah. and enjoy the wetlands.
2: And we already, because uh, uh, it's, it's little, it's very little, I, I don't want to over uh, uh, oversell this, because bird watching is a niche you know, yeah. tourism. But we already have a couple of companies asking for guide. We have a, a, compa- a boat company that have six boats asking us how we can do this. It's just because we put it there. Imagine like if we keep it, and yeah, you know? keep it and keep it. So, we Chinese are very particular in that. If someone do the, something, we want to do it. <laughs> we copy a lot. So, I think that ha- is, is an advantage to do conservation. And it's just the first step. We have a long way to do. We, but we believe that we can do it in the long run. Yeah.
0: yeah and so you talked a bit earlier about the uh, black neck swans in Valdivia, and I was wondering if you could talk, um, you know, what the black neck swans mean to Valdivia, uh, and also just about the um, pollution events um, that caused their disappearance. Mm.
2: Well, the black neck swans are super relevant for Valdivian but also I guess for the country after the 2004 uh, disaster uh, since Valdivia realized how important can be uh, a bird that was charismatic but also uh, was the representation of something good that they have. They have this beautiful river full of a sea of (laughs) of black-necked which is, if you don't have the opportunity to see I know you you do look people out there come to see it because it's amazing. It's a different sure. yeah, it's a different <laughs> experience. I, I'm a bird watcher. I'm sometimes I'm a lister and just want to see new species. But being in a kayak quiet with surrounded by I don't know four hundred fifty I mean fifty or hundred of black neck swamps is something. You, know? yeah. <laughs> you you will it's not incredible. be yeah, yeah, it's incredible. And and that richness, that power it was lost for a while. Unfortunately it's recovering but I think society here felt that and went out to say, no, this is not possible. And that was very fortunate for everyone, because that not just created the wetland center as one of the measures, but also created an awareness and a, a change in the institutional, the environmental institutions in Chile. So it's something that is happening in other parts, but this might be one of the, or or the uh, tipping point perhaps of, of the environmental movement so that, that important it is <laughs> yeah. Great. And
0: you talked uh, earlier a bit about how you feel that this sort of event and the disappearance of the Black Night Swans helped to elevate uh, awareness of the importance mm-hmm. of the wetlands um, to the city but also to the country in general. Mm-hmm. Could you mm-hmm. talk about I don't know some of the changes that happened. You talked about um, your center being formed, but I mean, what are the other, even just like more informal attitude changes and things like that?
2: Yeah, well, the 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 institutions um, start to review their their process and their uh, bylaws or their uh, uh, structures from this because, for example, maybe you don't know this, but this might be the only case where. um, company is sued by the state of Chile, or the government of Chile. It's a state of the government. So yeah, put yeah. it like in that way. And they won, which is something kind of odd. Now we have more of that, but by that time, and but the more uh, uh, different uh, uh, the more different thing is, money came back to the region. We are a very centralized country. So, and money came back not just to the region. For money was used to, to protect wetlands, to know wetlands. So, for better or worse, uh, that thing is unique. And I expect, uh, and I, you can see it already, a uh, better outcome compared to the money go to a pile of money, and then who knows who, in what kind of uh, activities yeah, will be used. So that's one change.
3: Thanks for joining us today. Uh, could you please introduce yourself and uh, your title? Okay, thank you, Jason. My name is Cristóbal Lamarca. I am an architect and engineer in geography and geomatics. And nowadays, I am the executive director of Activa Valdivia. Great. Uh, could you tell us what is Activa Valdivia? Uh, Well, Activa Valdivia is the result of uh, a longer process, uh, starting like maybe 10 years um, ago with Vision Valdivia, it's a union of uh, uh, private sectors that they try to improve uh, the city in different kind of ways, like especially in the nautic uh, abilities of the city, like building dogs for, for small boats uh, trying to set some places to uh, to row uh, mm-hmm. more safe and one of those projects was to build a governance in the city that joined the public private uh, academic and social sector because the city is not so big so you can get those uh, people with some representativity in one table and talk about how to improve the city. That work, uh, it's called the Consortio Aldivia Sustentable CVS. The CVS, it's been now like eight years uh, working. It's a monthly meeting. And after four years of that, uh, they decide to to set like a technical office or an agency that can make the things that they talk or the projects that they mention uh, get done. You know? and that's why Activa Aldivia get you know um, nowadays uh, the CBS still works as the directory of the of the office and the office have to work with different public sectors social and academic well, that's why we are also involved in the UREX network great yeah. right,
0: thank you so uh, we wanted to talk to you a bit about uh, wetlands and green infrastructure.
3: Um, and so how do wetlands fit into ACUBA, Valdivia's vision for the city? Uh, well, we we saw Valdivia as a very unique place, uh, as a city different from the other ones in Chile. Here in Chile, most of the cities are very similar in the urban context. I mean, there are uh, checkboard plots that they have only square uh, Big apples. I don't know how you say "manzanas." Oh Neighborhood. yeah, yeah. neighborhoods. neighborhoods. <laughs> so they're all square, and here in Maldivia they are different because the, that doesn't fit. So they, the wetlands, like draw the city, the beginnings of the city, and all the boundaries that they, they are very um, organic shaped. They are not like so geometric. So uh, the Maldivia sees the wetlands as the main uh, builders of the city how the cities start to fit in between those uh, wetlands that uh, some of them are being urbanized and some other ones not, but uh, that's like the ADN of the city for us, the, the wetlands. Could you tell us a little bit about the project in the Las Animas wetlands? Uh, yes, this, um, well, Activa Valdivia work in different um, axes of development, uh, social cohesion, um, use of the public space uh, per se, like in the streets. Um, one of them is uh, to try to have more green areas in the city because Bolivia is surrounded by forest and uh, very beautiful and uh, nature scape. But in the city itself, there we have not so many trees, not so many green plazas, only we have some parks, but they're like more in the Borders of the city and as well as the wetland. But in this case, uh, there is a wetland really uh, well placed in the city. Mm. It's surrounded by already uh, urbanized areas, so with this, we are trying to set the idea of a more dense city instead of sprawling new neighborhoods. And uh, it's uh, a riverside of this place, so uh, the main object is to mitigate the, the the urban floods because of uh, excess of rain in the future as you have model and that's uh, the main um, reason why we are trying to do this and the real thing is that we made a collaboration process with the ministry of public works that they have the um, the idea and the money to build this uh, riverside and we provide the design so we can like put the ideas of the UREX network in the ministry of public work that is not very conventional so instead of building just one concrete wall and let people walk from uh, over there we are starting from another point of view as looking at as green infrastructure so um, we first start to mapping all the the context of the place the wetlands the lagoons the, the forest that they already have even rest or remains of beach of sand beach a small stones beach uh, it, it was in that place so that gave us a first la- layer of uh, path that we, people can walk and we're trying to connect those those paths with the riverside and the uh, structure of the city. So the main objective is to make connectivity and access to this place, like um, getting people there without uh, having the necessity of urbanize the whole place with concrete. Well, we are trying to set two layers in the two maybe stratos, in, in the park, one uh, not floodable and one floodable. So the floodable infrastructure can can be damaged, and, and you can say it with water, but doesn't get uh, a loss of money in, the, in those buildings. And then the safe place could be could uh, be more, for example, more expensive or more critical uh, issues like maybe control rooms, emergency and stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. but that's the main objective uh, so what are the
0: what are the services that uh, active LDV is trying to provide uh, specifically <laughs> with the
3: project in OS um well the main uh, function or, or, or maybe sign is to build more compact cities so that's why we are renovating a place that already exists yeah, that's the main issue But then there are a lot of different functions. Uh, First, to give access to the people to this place. It's a very close, uh, nearby place, but without access. So, the first function is to get access to the people, uh, to the river, (coughs) and from the river as well. Um, Also, we are not. Curing down any tree over there. Actually, we're trying to put more, so trying to contribute to the world completely uh, in the CO2 task. And the place has a lot of uh, history. Uh, Nowadays, nobody is using it, but before it was a a, a beach in, in summertime, a river, natural beach. So that the, the benefit of that will be to decrease the, can, the amount of cars, the private cars that go to the nearby coast here every weekend and get uh, traffic jams, uh, etc, all those problems. and also the cultural like the heritage of the place about some important battles that were there, uh, some fortifications that there. So there's a story that we can tell through this interpretative path and that could be like a function of of um, uh, environmental and cultural education that this place could provide and uh, well of course uh, tr- tr- we have to wait to a very uh, uh, high uh, precipitation days or, or a flood for some ways to to test it as a mitigation part for Urban uh, flood flood, um, well, decreased temperature and all the things that green areas provide. But those are like the main things that we are trying to achieve.
0: I guess I had maybe one other question. So do you feel like this less animus project represents uh, a distinct change in thinking about green infrastructure or treatment of the wetlands or incorporating the wetlands into future plans of the city? Uh, or what do you feel is unique about this project? No,
3: I think it's actually, yes, it's a different it's a shift of paradigm in how to, how to solve public space. And also, uh, this specific uh, place is not only a wetland because it's also a riverside. And the riversides here, they are being all treated with concrete uh, defenses. Yeah, yeah. So they're hard. So ends. I <laughs> think this would be one of the first uh, projects that could try to do it in some other way and i think that's why it's a good example to to present it as a green infrastructure instead of a, a gray one because the benefits are well much bigger much wider than can only a world provide and i think that the, the we are happy to to be able to cross the scientific knowledge, for example, that the Eurex Network can provide us and to put it in a legal form to work with the public ministry uh, in Chile that they are, all, it's like a big machinery building roads and, and ports and we are able now in this project to, to connect those two worlds the scientific and the public one. and The design is made with private money and the, the The building of the park will be with public, so we are connecting all the dots that the CBS has always tried to do. So I think we're just starting the design, but we're very enthusiastic with this project.
0: There are many other organizations and people here in Valdivia actively discussing the current and potential uses of wetlands, as well as the threats against them. And unfortunately, we, of course, didn't have time to talk to all of them. One example of these left-out organizations is the Citizens Network for Urban Wetlands, which is a group that argues for the protection of the wetlands under the law, and they also organize events to get more people engaged in general uh, wetland conservation activities. There are also scientists here that are studying the wetlands, ourselves
1: included. Uh, We both received a USAID grant to study the wetlands here in Baldivia, and we've been here since May studying them. My research has been focused on quantifying how the amount of surrounding impervious surfaces affects water quality and water purification in the wetlands. Recently, I've also sent a survey to practitioners asking about the general perceptions
0: of the wetlands and the ecosystem services that they provide. And I am monitoring the wetland water levels and soil water content so that we can better understand the nuanced ways uh, the wetlands provide Valdivia with flood protection now, And how the wetlands might offer even greater flood protection services under changing climate conditions in the future in your own city there are probably many forms of infrastructure that lie toward the green side of the spectrum like parks uh, which serve a variety of design functions like recreation and gathering spaces and the future of those spaces like all spaces in cities is contested so when there are discussions of converting the form and function of these more green spaces in order that they might serve other functions like housing or industry Uh, Make sure that the people involved are taking stock of all the manifold uh, benefits of green or greenish infrastructure.
1: And as is the case in Valdivia, you may not be valuing something like biodiversity as much as you should. And to paraphrase a Counting Crow's song, you won't know how much it's worth until it's gone. Further reconverting these spaces might not be fully possible. Some services might be lost forever, or even when it is possible, it will likely be very expensive. Anyway, we hope this episode was useful in understanding what green infrastructure is, how we use it, and how to think about what it's providing for your life and the lives of those around you. See you next time. Ciao!